Today is the 31st of December, 2023, and it's also my 30th birthday. And on my 30th birthday, I thought it would be very timely to release a podcast to get out all of the lessons that I've learned. In my notes, I titled it, I titled it 31 Lessons from a 30-Year-Old. And this isn't from a place of me trying to be a life coach at such a young age. Well, what I think is young now, but when I was 18, I thought was so old. Uh, it's not me trying to stand on a pedestal and say, I've achieved this, I've achieved that, look at me. This is literally just things that I've learned along the journey of this thing that we call life. And to get 31 lessons out in somewhere between 60 to 75 minutes is going to be a bit of a challenge, so bear with me. I'm just going to jump straight into it. This is a mix of fitness tips, life tips, and everything else in between. They often have a lot of crossover, and that's the thing that I really love about fitness. It's not just fitness. It's not just improving your body. It's self-improvement. It's everything that I created with the Better With Brock podcast, and the reason why I did it, I did it to inspire people to be better because I got really hooked on self-development books when I was young, and I felt like that really fast-tracked my thinking and helped me to mature and grow up. Obviously, the life circumstances that I faced also helped me to grow up and mature, but I believe when you pursue self-development, not cheesy self-help motivation porn that they put out these days, but when you truly seek to become better, your life is always, as a result, going to become better as well. So let me jump into the first one. This is fitness related and something that I really changed my mind on recently. And it's all calories are not created equal. I've changed my mind since I did a challenge called the 30-Day Ice Cream Challenge where I ate ice cream every single day for 30 days in addition to my normal diet. And there was simply just to prove if you create a calorie deficit, you can eat the foods that you love and still drop body fat. The big nuance here now is, yes, you can lose body fat by eating ice cream every day, but at what cost is that coming to? And the podcast I released before this was with Dr. John White, and we talked about cancer prevention. I've had a lot of conversations with my wife who's really clued up when it comes to gut health. There's other people that have, well, gut microbiome and gut health awareness has really improved lately, and even just how you feel on certain foods really impacts the success of your diet. So I definitely don't regret doing the 30-day ice cream challenge, but I would like to give different advice. Yes, you can have ice cream every now and then, but having it every day is probably not going to be the best thing. A calorie is a calorie, just like a kilometer is a kilometer. Six foot is six foot. However, how you feel when you consume 2,000 calories of McDonald's versus 2,000 calories of, let's just say, a clean bodybuilding competition prep diet is going to be very different. One's going to leave you feeling very hungry and wanting to eat a lot more, and one of them's going to leave you feeling satiated, feeling full, feeling recovered, feeling energetic. And that's a big difference that I think people really need to understand is that all calories are not created equal. That doesn't mean you can't have ice cream every now and then like I outlined. I love gelato. I still have it every now and then. I still have burgers pretty much every weekend. 
So I'm not saying that you have to eat like a competitive bodybuilder. I'm just saying that all calories are not created equal. And if you're just looking at macros, the whole if it fits your macros diet revolution was massive. People were just having protein shakes and Pop-Tarts. But now I think we've matured, and I'm speaking to myself as well, I've definitely matured in my journey with nutrition. So when you are looking at losing fat or just consuming your diet normally, think of how you're feeling. Some people feel better on low-fat diets and high-carbohydrates. Some people feel better on low-carbohydrate diet, high-fat diets. Protein should always be high, and I think most people will agree that they feel better with high-protein diets, and it's also better for body composition. So that one's going to stay relatively the same. But also when we look at our fiber intake, we feel better when we have higher fiber intakes. We'll feel better as in we feel better when we're trying to lose fat. We feel more full, that's for sure. And that feeling of fullness really does carry over in the success of one's diet because when you are feeling full, when you're losing weight, there's no reason to cheat on your diet or go outside of the boundaries of your calories because you feel full and you feel satiated. And the statistics for diets are pretty disappointing, to be very honest. As a personal trainer, when, you're, when I'm trying to get someone to lose fat, you're definitely swimming against a very strong current. But having a diet that's high in fiber, at least around 15 grams per 1,000 calories that you consume is a good place to start. So that's point number one. That's the first lesson that I would say I want to pass on and, and have also changed my mind on. I thought it was very just eat your calories, eat your macros, and you're good. But there's a lot of nuance in between that. You have to really look after the types of foods that you're consuming, foods that are high in fiber, foods that are high in nutrient density, foods that are going to uh, help you not be deficient in anything. So usually that's fruits and vegetables, nuts, legumes, low processed foods. The second lesson, embrace the 1.25 kg plates. And this is speaking to progressive overload and applying progressive overload. Really strong people, when you see them train, they don't put on 20 kg plates every time they increase the weight. They don't do massive jumps in between. What do they do? They embrace the 1.25 kg plates. Those are the smallest plates in commercial gyms that you can put on the bar to make it heavier. And the beauty of embracing the 1.25 kg plate is it's just that little bit better. And when we're looking at progressive overload, building muscle and getting stronger, we have to look at things that we can just 1% better, 0.5% better, just increase that little bit. And that's where those 1.25 kg plates come on. So if I'm bench pressing 120 kg, the next week, if I do 122.5 kg because I've put those 1.25 kg plates on each side, I'm getting better. It may not look like it. It may not look drastic. But if I keep doing that week after week after week after week, my 120 kg will one day be 140 kg. I didn't go from 120 to 140 the next session. That's impossible. That big gap is too large. But I went from 120 to 122.5. And then I went from 122.5 to 125. And then I went from 125 to 127.5. And it kept increasing, kept increasing. And then I'm at 140. And this also lends itself to the idea of Kaizen, which is this word that just translates to continuous improvement, small 
improvements daily. It also connects to the idea of get 1% better every day. And if you do that, you'll look back at the year and you'll be a completely different person. Day to day, you'll feel the same. Even week to week, you'll feel pretty similar. Month to month, it'll be quite hard to see a change. But year to year to year to year, if every day you're pursuing that 1% better, and I'm talking about it in aspects of the gym, lifting that slightly heavier weight, doing that extra rep of the same weight, another way to apply progressive overload if you didn't know. And when you do that, at the time, it feels a bit like a waste of time. You're like, oh, man, should I really waste this energy to put on 1.25 kg plates? My answer is yes. Get off your lazy ass, put that 1.25 kg plate in your rest period, set up, and then go again. Because if you have that bigger picture understanding and you zoom out and you look at how you improve over time, those 1.25 kg plates are going to slowly improve you in all aspects of your life, but especially in the gym. Point number three, I called it wash the dishes. In other words, take the job, do more and learn more. I say wash the dishes because I was a kitchen hand. My my brother was a head chef at a restaurant called Lone Star back in Christchurch. I was studying and I needed a job and my brother gave me a job. I was washing dishes. And it sounds like the shittiest job you could ever think of. But when you're a student, you take whatever you can. But it's actually made this list because it really changed me as a person when I look back at it. Washing the dishes. Just doing things. Because, what? well, what did I learn from washing dishes? Not much from the outside looking in. But if you look at me as a person at that young age, I learned how to, uh, how to cooperate with people. I learned how to get along with people. I learned better conversational skills because I was working with people who were also studying at uni and people like my brother who were older than me, four years older than me. There were other people 10 years older than me, 15, 20 years older than me when I was working this job. And it really gave me social skills. Not that I was socially awkward, but it helped me to communicate with other people, to work as a team, uh, to work in a professional environment as well, to have a uniform, to show up, all these things that I didn't have before I worked this job. Another thing that it really helped me do, and this is from a professional perspective, is it helped me create systems. Because when you wash dishes, you get a ton of plates just thrown at you. And when you're overwhelmed and overloaded, with work, your capacity is at brim. It's at the brim. And you have to deal with what's in front of you and create systems that are, that are going to be the fastest way to deal with the problem in front of you. And when it's 10 p.m., the restaurant's closed, people are out. The chefs are closing up and they're giving you pots that have been burning for three hours and they're black on the bottom. You have to manage them. You also have to manage the stacks of plates in front of you. You also have to manage the cutlery. You also, so at this job, we had two kitchen hands. So one had the hose spraying it down put and, and loading the dishwasher. And the other person was scrubbing the pots and pans. And they were also um, getting the sirloins when the chefs called them or getting the prawns when the chefs called them or topping up the milk when the chefs called them. So there was two roles. So you also had to learn how to manage those two roles with the people that were working. Okay, so w what were my strengths and what were the, the other person's strengths and how can we work together? 
and this taught me valuable lessons. So, for example, when you get all the pots and pans, instead of just trying to scrub straight away, we'd put boiling water in them and just set them aside and then work on the plates. So, uh, that is not a mind-boggling invention, but it's just it just look it. These things you can apply when you're older. Now I know, you know. Sometimes there's things that you can just like let simmer, that you can let settle. Then there's some things that need to be addressed immediately. If a chef yells at you and says, get the sirloin steak, you can't just go, okay, I'm going to let that simmer and work on this other thing because you've got the stressed out, overworked chef that's shouting at you that wants it immediately. So you go and do that straight away. And I think that I learned a lot from just taking the job, washing the dishes. And it reminds me of a quote that really guides me. Uh, it really, really guided me as a young adult and still does as an adult today. And that is lazy hands make for poverty, but diligent hands bring wealth. It's actually from the Bible, but it just couldn't it just couldn't be more true. And like being a diligent kitchen hand didn't make me rich. It didn't make me wealthy, but it gave me the skills and it gave me the awareness. It gave me the characteristics or the traits. Uh, that really gave me the tools to try and be wealthy, to try and be rich, uh, let's say if that was a goal of mine, but also to to become a better critical thinker, to become a, bre uh, a better problem solver. The fourth lesson, habit pairing, and these are random. So I just thought about 31 life lessons and I just wrote them all down. And this is just the way that they poured out. Uh, habit pairing. So this is an idea that I got from the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. And this really, <laughs> to make it really simple, it's just when you pair two habits together to help you uh, make sure that you don't forget a habit that you want to form. So an example that I use a lot with clients is taking creatine because creatine is a supplement that you have to take and it absorbs into the system. It doesn't have acute effects. If you take creatine today, tomorrow you're not going to feel any benefit. It takes one month to absorb it into the system or 14 days if you double the dose and you load it. And... Many people forget to take their creatine every day. So my solution to that is pair it with something that you already do every day so that you don't forget it. If you brush your teeth every night before you go to bed, which I highly recommend if you don't, when you brush your teeth, take your creatine as well. Maybe take your creatine first and then brush your teeth. That way, you're not going to forget to take your creatine because you're going to pair it with something that you never forget to do. Every day when you wake up, if you put your socks on, take your creatine. I just think it's a great idea. People are always wanting to end old habits, begin new habits, and they feel so hard trying to give up smoking, trying to go to the gym, trying to give up uh, doom scrolling on your phone, which we'll talk about later, trying to, uh, I don't know, stop going around and sleeping with different women every single time you go out. If you're trying to end these things, it's really hard. So when you get these urges to do them, if you want to forget them, pair it with something that you actually want to do. Or if you want to remember to do something like take creatine, do it with something else that you already do every day. I just think it's a really valuable concept to have in the back of your mind when you're looking at creating new habits, especially with the beginning of 2024 literally being tomorrow. When I first thought of doing a podcast in 2019, I wrote down everything that I wanted to achieve with the show. And one thing I never wrote down was to spam you with ads of products that I never really used myself. However, I did write down that I wanted to grow it 
as big as possible and have as many interesting people on the show as I could. To help make that happen, all I ask is that you leave a review on the podcast platform that you're listening to this episode on and share it with someone that you know it will benefit. If you want to support myself even further and more importantly, your body transformation and are interested in having me as your coach to help you achieve the results that you just can't seem to achieve on your own, you can visit teambrockashby.com to see what program fits you best. Uh, Lesson number five, don't give yourself a backup option. And this really speaks to me a lot because it's, it's been my life. Uh, when I was younger, I was, so I was born in uh, a city called Christchurch, New Zealand. Um, and then I ended up moving up to Auckland to try, you know, move on to greener pastures, a bigger city with more opportunity. And I really had no backup option. I had to make it work and I made it work because there was no, uh, there was no backup plan. And it sounds really unintelligent. It sounds really naive when you hear it like this, but there's so many success stories that you hear of people, and I'm not trying to group myself into this category, but people that have had no other option but to show up. If you look at The Rock story, Dwayne Johnson, his story is very similar. 50 Cent, his story is very similar. They all have this kind of point where that there's no other option but for them to succeed. And for me, I packed up my shitty Honda Civic, my first car that was rusty, uh, like rusty wind wipers, cost $500. My dad bought it for me and it it got me around. It had an oil leak. I tried to get a warrant and rego. It didn't take it. I said, I need to leave today. They said, we can only fix it on Monday. So I left and I left with a car with a huge oil leak, no warrant, no rego, packed full of all of my clothes. I left everything back home in Christchurch and I drove to Auckland. I drove for six hours, slept at my Nana's house to say hi on my way up, and then I jumped on a ferry, and then I drove for 10 hours straight. I almost slept in my car, but a good friend of mine paid for me to sleep at a hotel, which I'm I'm so grateful for, Um, and I had pretty much no money. My dad gave me $800 to go, but when I arrived in Auckland, I had to get my car fixed because it had a huge oil leak, and it literally just made it. The, The motor was making crazy noises, and every major city that I was driving, I had to put new oil in it. When I got there, I went to get it fixed. It cost $800 exactly. So I was back to $0. I had no uh, real family in Auckland, so I slept on a friend's couch, which ended up being pretty much like a little fold-out bed right beside the dishwasher, so very loud. At night, they still put it on. Uh, um, yeah, it was a rough time. I I didn't have a job. I looked for a job. I, I, I didn't have friends, so I just kind of like spent time on my own. Um, you know, I cried a lot. I cried myself to sleep a lot. Um, but I made it work. I got a job. Um, I I ended up getting a place to stay. It was terrible, but it was a place to stay. And I slowly started getting on my feet. You know, I tried to pursue music. That didn't work. I had no backup plan. So I quali- I became qualified to become a personal trainer. I became qualified. I worked my ass off, 6 a.m. till 9 p.m. I actually, and, and, and while I was doing that, I was still working other jobs as well. So I was... 6 a.m. to 8 or 9 p.m. every day at the gym. This was in Auckland when I moved there. And then on the weekends, I was um, doing other jobs that I could do. I was trying to do modeling jobs. I was trying to do TV presenting jobs. I was just like applying everywhere. I was uh, working for Javianas at one point, selling jandals or thongs. That's what we call them in Australia. Um, But, you know, I guess, you know, I'm not trying to say I (laughs) 
definitely haven't achieved anything like The Rock. But um, when you give yourself no other option, there's no other option but to be great and to get better and to make it successful. You have to think laterally. You have to think on your toes. And that's why I'm a big fan of moving out at a young age because you figure stuff out. You have to pay your own bills. You have to feed yourself. You have to wash your clothes. You have to, you have to get around. You have to commute. Do you buy a car or do you try and commute by train or bus? You know, it's, it's, it's how you figure out life. It's how you get on your feet. You know, I was, uh, I was so broke at times that I would go around to these like Chinese, uh, like grocery store slash markets and get everything that was reduced to clear because I couldn't afford the proper foods. And I was like eating eggs and I was eating carrots and I was eating very like cheap things that were reduced to clear and, and I was eating a lot of, um, like not meat. I was eating like minced meats that were like super fatty. And then I was eating a lot of liver, um, hearts and things like that because they were cheaper. And that taught me resource management. It taught me how to balance my finances. It also taught me to work hard to get out of the shithole that I was in. Um, so yeah, don't give yourself a backup option. You know, I have friends that have, uh, you know, come over from different countries and restart and the visa situation is very difficult in Australia, especially when you come over and you can't work because you don't have that visa or you get the visa and then the, the, they don't sponsor you or you still have to study. But then to study, it costs an arm and a leg. It's very difficult. But if you don't give yourself a backup option, and I'm not saying to not, you know, have a, I don't know, if you're pursuing to be a personal trainer, not to get qualified as a psychologist if you really want to do that. That's completely cool. I just had no other option. And it gave me no other option but to succeed. Uh, lesson number six. Uh, if you don't have the circle you want created. And this takes me back to that time when I was in Auckland. And I had no friends. I was living in a house with five other people. I was paying $150 a week rent. Because it was literally a villa. And, there was, uh, and I say villa and it sounds really nice. But it wasn't. It was just like a house with a long hallway. Rooms on the side. And then a kitchen and kind of lounge room at the end. And they were all awesome people. Don't get me wrong. But I didn't have the circle that I wanted. So what did I do? I read a ton of books. This is when I really dived into self-help. I read The Power of Positive Thinking. That really impacted my life massively, which I'll touch on later on. I read The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. I remember reading The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck. And I really dived into these books. I read uh, the one by uh, Napoleon Hill. What's that one? Um, it's kind of like Get Rich or Die Trying. Oh, but it's not. Uh, Think and Grow Rich. I read that. That really impacted my life. And because I didn't have the circle I wanted, I didn't have the friends that I, that I wanted around me because I was in a new city trying to establish friendships, I kind of created it with books and in this day and age, you could probably do it with podcasts and you could do it with uh, other materials, maybe courses if you have the financial resource to, to buy them. But I read books. I got them from secondhand stores. They cost me like a dollar or two. They were from like op shops, which is what we call them in New Zealand. And, you know, they really helped me create an environment that helped push me, helped me develop myself, helped me you know, I got into this real self-help world and now it's really cheesy and it's really be motivated and not disciplined and the same stuff keeps getting regurgitated, regurgitated. But at the time, this was the only stuff that was helping me and getting me out of the 
I wasn't in trouble, but I wanted better for my life and I didn't really have the people around me saying that. So if you don't have the friends you want, if you don't have the life you want, if you don't have this circle of influence around you that you really think will help lift you up, create it yourself. Obviously, you have to take action and be bold and do things to create a change in your life. But it does really help to have this environment around you uh, to craft your character. Uh, next one. Um, uh, this is a great quote that I heard that I applied and, and, and didn't really know until I was uh, aware of the quote. If a man empties his purse into his head, no man can take it from him. An investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Benjamin Franklin. And the amount of quality of life that education has, has, has given to me is amazing. Fast forward from Auckland going over to... I went to the Gold Coast to be a personal trainer. Then I went to Sydney and I started. The thing that really separated me as I matured as a personal trainer was pursuing further education because I had more knowledge than the other personal trainers. And that was basically it. I was more knowledgeable. I knew more exercises. I knew how to deal with more problems. I knew uh, that people had certain imbalances that they weren't aware of at first so we could work on them. When you have more knowledge your demand is higher than people with less knowledge. And that falls into pretty much every industry that you can think of. Would you rather have a dentist that knows a lot or would you rather have a dentist that knows more than that guy? Of course, you'd have the person that knows more. And I think in a life where it's so easy to just sit down and be, I want to say nullified. I don't really know what that means, but I'm going to go with it. If you just want to sit there and be nullified by entertainment, you can do that. What's more difficult is sitting down and reading when your spouse is watching TV or something. Or if, even if you live on your own like I did for many years, instead of just sitting down and watching Netflix or watching your favorite show, maybe you should read or maybe you should watch a video on upskilling in your career endeavors. And I think that it's a lost art becoming more educated, especially when you finish school. One thing that I learned is education does not end when you finish school. It just begins. I can say that school has had much less of an impact than anything I've learned after school. Obviously, because I've specialized in fitness, but the things that I've learned that I carry, carry in my life and in my mind and in my thoughts and morals that lead me have pretty much come from outside of school. And I'm not saying that school isn't useful. It, it definitely has its place. What I'm saying is if you think learning ends just because you've graduated from something, it's a big lie. We need to continue to learn pretty much daily. That's something that I pursue and that's something that has helped me just specifically become a personal trainer in demand and become a, per, a better personal trainer that gets better results for people. So if you feel like your career isn't going where you want it to go, I think that you could never waste any money on furthering your education because when you spend money on your education, especially for your professional work, it's going to create more demand and help you to get a pay rise or get more clients that will pay you for what you're learning. 
Lesson number eight. This is something that I just found interesting. I won't spend too much time on it, but I, I, I learned it from Chris, Chris Williamson, who's the host of the podcast Modern Wisdom, which is blowing up. Um, and it was the longer the commute people had to work, the lower the quality of life that they had. They had lower physical activity, uh, lower, um, I guess, uh, mental health scores. Um, and this just, like, it sounds pretty strange. But when you really think about it, it makes sense. Sitting on a train, sitting on a bus for an hour on the way to work, and then on the way back, where you literally just have to sit down, and usually people are just scrolling on their phone. Number one, it's really hard to get in things like exercise. I've, I've really struggled with certain clients that have had massive commute times because they might commute for an hour, work for 10 hours, eight to 10 hours. An eight hour day is short these days, but let's say they work eight hours and then they commute another hour back. That's 10 hours out of the day. If you sleep eight hours, that's 10 hours out of the day, eight hours of sleep, you have six hours left. And often, there's other things to do. You have, I don't know, a family. You have certain things that you have to do. It's very hard. Or you have to take work back home and keep working. That's not strange in this day and age. It's really hard to get steps in. It's Especially if you sit on your ass at work on a computer. It's really hard to get workouts in time-wise. It's really hard to see your friends. It's really hard to spend quality time with your family. All these kind of things pay in. And I'm not saying that everyone should move to the city and work in the city. But it does po it, it it does propose the question of is it more important to live in a more affordable place that's far away or pay a little bit more and be closer to the city where you can actually do things that are better for your life train walk see your friends see your family um, and I know this kind of sounds privileged I guess if you look at it like oh maybe you can afford to live in the city but we can't. I, I understand that conversation as well. I'm just saying it's worth a conversation or it's worth looking at that time that you're spending commuting and using it in a productive manner. Can you work while you're on the train so you don't have to stay at long as work? Oh, if you, so you don't have to stay as long at work. Uh, can you read a book while you're there so you can do your extra learning? You know, there's certain things. Can you answer emails to your side hustle while you're doing going back and forth? It's just something to consider, and it makes me think, because, uh, you know, my wife and I are thinking about housing and, you know, buying property and or renting property, all these kind of conversations that we're having as young parents, uh, and, you know, it's, it, it's always an option to buy a bigger house further out, but if that means a bigger commute for certain things, if that means, you know, being further away from people and making it harder for them to come visit... Is it really worth it? Or should we get a smaller place that's closer to things that so we can do more and have a higher quality of life from doing these sorts of things outside of sitting in traffic, which Sydney has a lot of? It's just, that's, that's kind of not a lesson, but it could be to you. I know personally there's a client of mine that is really struggling with this and they're looking at pretty much potentially ending their job that they're pursuing at the moment and moving out of their parents' house because they they did it to save money. So, you know, is that money saved or that extra space that you have because it costs less to live a bit further out, is it worth it? Is, I guess, what I'm asking. Lesson number nine, 
one hot day doesn't make a summer. And this is from James Smith PT. Uh, and that's just a, it's a great quote that I like to, to say to people when they screw their diet up or when they fall out of consistency with their training because one hot day doesn't make a summer. And to answer the rest of the quote, a big string of hot days makes a summer. So if you have one cold day in a summer, it's raining, it's absolutely pissing down, maybe it's even flooding, that doesn't make it a winter. It slightly impacts the coolness of the summer, but really it's still summertime if it's just hot every other day. So if you're consistent with your diet, but you absolutely have a shitter one day and you just have a big cheat meal, you get super drunk, or, and then you miss training the next day, that does not matter. What matters is the consistency of hot days that make a summer. What matters is the consistency that you follow when you're dieting. What matters is how you get back on the horse and start training. Not one random day. Point number 10. I want to talk about the stimulus to fatigue ratio. I had Dr. Mike Isretel from Renaissance Periodization on the podcast. He was episode number 50. And he coined the term, the stimulus to fatigue ratio. And ultimately what it means is getting the most out of the least. And it's a way to assess if you're doing an exercise that is pretty much worth doing. High muscle building stimulus, low fatigue. Low fatigue for your connective tissues and also low fatigue for your central nervous system. So a really basic comparison is, okay, let's look at barbell back squats and leg extensions for your quadriceps and muscle building. Okay, so the squats are pretty awesome because you can lift quite a lot of weight and you can squat ass the grass and get more knee over toes, more knee flexion, which helps recruit the quads. Awesome. But the amount of fatigue that you get from squatting is quite high because you use a lot of muscles when you're doing it. And when you look at the leg extension, you're not using much stabilization muscles because you're sitting down on a machine. So there's going to be less fatigue. Uh, you're not uh, spinally loaded. You're not holding weight on your back. More. Um, more um, stability. Less stabilization muscles firing. So even less fatigue. All you're doing is straightening your legs and then bending your legs. Straightening your legs and bending your legs. The stimulus for muscle building is very high for a leg extension because you can really push hard and close to failure more so than you can a barbell back squat because a barbell back squat, you can't take all the way to complete muscular failure or else you're going to get injured or get squashed by the weight. So when you look at these factors, the stimulus to fatigue ratio for building muscle in the quadriceps is better in the leg extension versus the squat. So it's just an idea. It's a way of analyzing something. And it's not just about working out. But it also applies elsewhere in life. And this is what Dr. Mike and I talked about. It's also your relationships. You know, how much uh, stimulus are you getting? How much happiness? How much great conversations? How much are they listening? How much fulfillment do you get when you hang out with them? Versus how fatiguing are they? How toxic are they to you? How, how, much, how negative are they to you? How much do they bring you down? How much do they drag you into their bullshit? Stimulus to fatigue ratio. It's something to think about. Your career, your work, how much stimulus financially, uh, fulfillment does it bring you 
versus how much fatigue, how much time, how much energy it saps from you, how much time it takes away from your family. What's the stimulus to fatigue ratio? It's just such a great idea that I'm thankful for that, uh, you know, Dr. Mike brought up. Lesson number 11 is specific to jiu-jitsu. Another thing from Dr. Mike, and it, it's something that he said that really stuck with me, and it was drillers become killers. And drilling is a concept in jiu-jitsu where you just drill the same move over and over and over again, like a drill just keeps going round and round and round and round and round. You drill it. You continue to repeat it. And drillers become killers eludes the fact that the more you practice one thing, the better you get at it. And, and, and the better you get at something, the more efficient you're going to, to become at that. And especially in jiu-jitsu, if you're more efficient in one technique than another person, you're going to get that person. You're going to be in a better position or you're going to submit them. And drillers become killers is just a real great quote that that speaks excellence. Become really good at things. If specifically jujitsu, if you want to get better at jujitsu, drill. Keep putting yourself in difficult positions and escape from that one place so that when you get to that specific place, you know how to get out. When someone's trying their hardest or just in a flow roll, you know the steps. And this is true with anything. It's true at work. If you practice being in high-pressure situations, you're going to be better and you're going to develop a more successful technique to deal with those high-pressure situations. Drillers become killers. That was another golden nugget from Dr. Mike. Lesson number 12, nothing in the world is heavier than an unmade decision. This is a paraphrase from Alex Hermosi, but it also talks about the Zyganic effect, which is, or the Zyganic loop effect, where they talk to waiters in a restaurant and they were walking around and if you said, what table, table number 76, what's on their food? You know, they would tell you they have a side of roast potatoes, they have a medium rare sirloin, they have a carbonara steak and a cheeseburger for the kid, right? And they would know everything, da-da-da-da-da-da-da. As soon as they closed the table, the table left, it was in, and, then no, and then no one was there. If you asked them the same question, they would forget. And that's because the loop had been closed. But while the loop was open, they were retaining that information and they had uh, that mental space in their mind taken up by what was there. But as soon as it was closed, as soon as the loop was closed, the table was closed, everything was paid for, they got their tip, whatever, they forgot about it. And this can be applied to making decisions. And I guess I'll just say, make decisions fast. Not in a stupid way, but the more time you take to decide on something, the more mental space it takes up and the more you carry around with you. So let's just imagine a waiter and the tables never close. And they just go home with all that information, right? They have less capacity for other things. And they're still thinking about that cheeseburger, that carbonara, that sirloin steak, that's it's still in their mind so they have less space for other things so when we're deciding to make decisions i've seen this a lot with different people the more decisions they hesitate on the more flustered they are the more full their brain is the less they can think clearly because they're just carrying so much in their mind so make 
more decisions. Make faster decisions. Often, a faster made decision, even if it's wrong, this depends on the situation, is better than a correct decision made too late. And to come back to what I was saying before about do more, learn more, lazy hands make for poverty, diligent hands bring wealth, that earlier point that I was talking about, that was because I made decisions pretty fast. And that doesn't mean I could have made better decisions, but the, decision, but the decisions that I did make were dealt with and I learned along the way. It's something to think about. Uh, lesson number 13. To make something seem easier, do something double as hard. And I think this is what has really popularized ice baths. Joe Rogan's idea that, you know, doing hard shit when you first wake up pretty much, you know, turns you into a man, helps you become a, a life-conquering machine. And I think, he's, I think he's right. I think that doing hard stuff really does lift your ability to do other things. You know, it's great with jujitsu. You know, I'm getting choked out by, by other people. You know, do you think I'm scared of, of recording a podcast? Do you think I'm scared of recording an Instagram reel? Do you think I'm scared of, a, of lifting weights in a workout? Man, I've just been choked out. I've been fighting other men throughout the week, fully grown, way better developed technique men at jujitsu, and they're smashing me. And it comes down to this quote, the hardest thing that you've ever done is the hardest thing that you've ever done. Or the hardest thing that you've faced is the hardest thing that you've faced. You only know what you know. So if you're struggling to do something, I challenge you to do something double as hard because it will make it very possible to do the thing that you're procrastinating over. Um, lesson number 14, put your weights back. How you do anything is how you do everything, is a quote that I live by. And if you don't put your, put your weights back, I don't think you can achieve much in life. You're messy, you're unorganized, you're not a team player, you're rushed, you're unprofessional. It says a lot about you as a person. And if you hold yourself to a higher moral standard, I believe you can go further in life. And this, once again, is coming from a 30-year-old. <laughs> I'm not a 60-year-old uh, war veteran that seems so wise and everything, but I've spent a lot of time in gyms. And uh, I've spent a lot of hours on the gym floor. And the people that put their weights back have their shit together. The people that don't, they don't have their shit together. I can't say I've had a client that has has never put their weights back. And I say that because a client of a personal trainer, if you zoom out of personal training, it's a luxury service. It's quite expensive for what you're getting in terms of it being an hour of working with a personal trainer. Now, there is a ton of value that you get within that. But from outside looking in, you're paying anywhere between $50 to $200, $250 an hour, right? Anywhere between that. If you have extra money to spend on your fitness like that, you must have done something right in life. So I guess I'm using my clients as an example of they have their shit together. They put their weights back. They can afford a personal trainer. If you can't afford a personal trainer, maybe you should look at putting your weights back. Not because it keeps a tidy gym. That is a massive benefit that helps gym managers, helps personal trainers, and makes gym members' life much easier. But 
it also will make your life better because it will hold you to a better standard. Dotting your I's, crossing your T's, making sure you're working all of your hours, making sure you're sending all of those emails, making sure you're proofreading things, making sure you're preparing for meetings, making sure you're on time. It all starts with putting your weights back. It all starts with how you do anything is how you do everything. Lesson number 15, consume less, create more. This is something that I still struggle with these days. And it's a lesson that I'm definitely applying. And it's about consuming less content. There are a million podcasts that you could listen to every single day. There are a million people that you could follow on Instagram that you would love every single day. The challenge is not doing it. How much information is too much information is the golden question here. And how much can we actually retain is the biggest thing. I think that our life was much better. Personally, this is just me reminiscing. My childhood, I just feel like it was much, much, much better when I wasn't consuming so much content and I was actually able to think for myself. Sometimes when I find myself listening to podcasts or listening to a lot of audiobooks, even though I'm devouring a ton of golden information, sometimes I'm not able to retain it. And then I actually wonder what that time is actually worth now if I feel like I'm taking in more information but I'm not actually retaining it. Is it just a waste of time? Would it have been better if I was just in silence, really dwelling on my own thoughts and being able to develop critical thinking? Sure, look, I've listened to a ton of different pieces of content that have inspired me through life. I remember listening to a podcast from Andy Frizzella. Uh, his podcast is the MFCEO. He runs a company called First Form, and he was talking about email lists. That next morning, I started an email list. So content can be super motivational. It can be super life-changing because that email list for me has brought me clients. It has brought a ton of my clients also a lot of... Um, a lot of motivation to continue training, but also a lot of retention with training with me because they get motivation from me as their personal trainer or just from uh, from someone that they want to learn from. And so I'm not taking away from consuming content. I just think we need to ask the question, how much content is too much content? If we scroll on Instagram for one hour, how much are we actually going to remember from that? If we listen to two podcasts a day, which seems pretty reasonable these days, how much are we retaining from that? And how much of our own thinking are we doing? The more I think about the amounts of content that we're consuming as a population, as society, the more I begin to think about how unique it is for someone to actually develop their own thoughts. And when you look at podcasters and how much uh, great value they're putting out there that you're listening to, how much do you think they listen to podcasts? Do you think that they listen to podcasts the same amount as you? Or are they doing half? or less than half, or completely zero because they're working on their own thoughts. So it comes back down to the question of who do you want to be? Do you want to be someone that just consumes content and is a bit of a sheep, let's say? Or do you want to be a bit of a shepherd and work on developing your own thoughts? And when you think of a shepherd, a shepherd is, uh, is leading other people. A shepherd, I see a shepherd without headphones on listening to a podcast being a bit of a stoic, no headphones being out there with nature, developing their own thoughts. And when you look at a sheep, surrounded by a lot of people, following the crowd, listening to other shepherds. It's something to think about. It's definitely something that I've changed in my life. I used to listen to a ton of things, but now 
I'm kind of embracing silence and I feel like it's better for my brain, especially when I'm running this podcast and coaching, you know, thousands of people to really help uh, be the best person that I can be and be the best coach that I can be in terms of getting the results for them. Uh, lesson number 16, and this is a bit of a big idea. Uh, 90 year old reverse engineer <laughs> is what I wrote down, but the, the entire concept, hold up, let me get a drink first. So the entire concept of this 90 year old reverse engineer thing is I want you to picture yourself as a 90-year-old. You're still alive. You survived. What do you think you regret? Just think about it. And there are a ton of great videos on YouTube you can watch of old people sharing their regrets to give you an insight if you can't think for yourself. What do you think you remember? What do you think you've forgotten? What do you think is important to you and what do you think isn't important to you? And when you look at yourself as a 90-year-old, you really begin to sieve out the bullshit. Do you care about the clothes that you wear? Do you care about what car you drove? Because at 90, you probably ain't driving, let's be honest. You probably can't even see that far. Uh, what... You know, what house did you live in? What brand was your couch? What size was your TV? All these questions and, and, and these things that we worry about, these things that we stress out about and we think people care about. When you talk to 90-year-olds, and I went over to New Zealand uh, this year recently uh, with my wife and my daughter and, and, my, uh, and my family to, to actually go to my Nana's 90th. When you spend time with older people, you soon begin to understand what is important. And you begin to understand what they care about. And then you begin to understand these things that are timeless, these things that never expire in value to these people. Things like relationships, things like family, uh, things like homes. And I say homes because I think homes are different to houses. Homes have a warm feeling of family and friends and togetherness and houses are, are just bricks and roofs. Memories, moments, vacations, holidays, uh, milestones, these things matter. And the more I've been thinking about this, the more I've kind of stepped away from things that I thought were really cool and still think that are really cool. And I know that a 90-year-old is way different to a 30-year-old in terms of like, like put it like this, at a 90-year-old age, you're grateful if you can just stand up and walk. If I changed my goals and said, well, as a 90-year-old, I just want to be able to stand up and walk. So today, instead of lifting weights, I'm just going to practice walking, standing up, or I'm just not going to do anything because I can already stand up and walk. That's not smart because even though that's what I need to do when I'm 90, my goals are different because I'm 30. I can do way more than that. I can squat 150 kilos. I can bench press 150 kilos. I can deadlift 200 kilos if I want. It's important to understand that 
goal should be changing when you're 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90. But I think it's important to reverse engineer your life as a 90-year-old to look back to see if the things that I'm worrying about now are even going to matter as I get older. And when should I start sieving them out or do I even need to think about it? If I'm going to buy a car, should I buy one that's $100,000 more expensive and I take out a bigger loan? And that means that I can't buy a bigger home for people to, to come over and create memories with. Should I do that just because it's going to impress my friends or it's going to look really cool online when I post a photo standing beside that car with the red bow on it? Is that going to be... Is, is that going to be important when I'm 90 years old? Am I going to remember, oh man, I remember when I stood beside that photo and I posted it. I can still remember the amount of likes that I got on that day and I'll never forget it. It just makes my heart warm thinking about it. I don't think any 90-year-old is going to say that. So reverse engineering your life as a 90-year-old I think is a really great concept in terms of sieving out what's important and what's not. Lesson number 17 is the doom scroll toll. And this is something that I think I, I coined. Well, I did for, uh, for me. I, I'd, I'd never heard anyone talk about it. And it's just the toll that doom scrolling has on you. And it's more so at nighttime. It really eats into your sleep. A lot of people will go, oh, it's bedtime. Better grab my phone and just lie on my bed and just, you know, you got your hands in front of you. You're doing that. I've done it, right? I've fallen asleep. Phone hit me in the nose. I wake up, put my phone down and go to sleep. I've just been scrolling. And I'm so tired that I just fall asleep. The phone hits me in the face. The doom scroll toll, we're all guilty of it. But I challenge you to get over it. I've really stopped now. I, when I'm ready to sleep, boom, put it away. I'm not going to lie there on my phone and scroll through things. I put it on charge and put it away. And then I just go to sleep. When you look at the amount of things that you digest, once again, coming back to how much content is too much content, what do you actually remember when you're just about to go to bed? Not much. You're... You're looking for more of a quick laugh than you are to learn something. So, and I just think that like with the doom scroll toll, what is that toll? It's being more tired the next day, which means being less productive in your day-to-day -day life, uh, less productivity uh, at your workplace, uh, less energy for your loved ones when you get home from work because you're so smashed and you just want to go to sleep, less uh, excitement, less zeal for life, these things. That may be okay to get by, but long term, it creates a more pessimistic human being with a lower quality of life. And I think that because it's so new, we don't really know how to deal with the phone. And I'm not an expert at it. But for someone with a pretty significant following, I spend a lot less time on my phone than you would think. When I'm with my friends and my family, it's down on the table. At nighttime, when babies are sleeping and I'm with my wife, I have to post my stories, I have to post my content, so I'm on it then, yes. But when I'm with my daughter and it's just her and I, I'm not on my phone. When I'm with my friends and I haven't seen them in ages and all our families are together, I'm not on my phone at all. And then you see people, and this kind of grinds my gears, and I'm, this isn't a, coming from a privileged place of, of having a following and whatever. And also, this following's taking a lot of work, so shut up. But when people have like no following, no business on social media, and it's just for, for, for funsies, they're at family gatherings, they're at Christmas, they're at a birthday, they're at a wedding, and they're just scrolling on their phone. I'm like, mate, 
what the hell are you watching that's so important? You're missing out on these memories and these moments. I just think we don't know how to deal with it. But I think you'll, you'll never regret putting your phone down. But you could always regret having your phone in your hand. Something to think about anyway. Number 18. What is measured can be progressed. This is a lesson that you can take from calories. You can take from measuring your body fat. You can take it from measuring your finances. What is measured can be progressed. It's just a, a principle. If you're not tracking things, it's really hard to improve it. If you're saving up for a house, but you're not even looking at your bank account and how much money you have, what the hell are you doing? You don't know if you're getting more money or losing money. If you're not measuring your body fat, but your goal is to get to 10% body fat, how much body fat do you have? How much body fat do you need to lose by X amount of day? Measure that stuff. It keeps you accountable, so it keeps you interested. And it keeps you wanting to show up. But it also gives you data and statistics to follow so you actually know if you're getting better or not. And when we look at the motivational cycle, action. Action gets results. Results gets motivation. Motivation leads into taking more action. When we look at the cycle going round and round and round and round and round, if we're measuring things, when we take action and we see that it gets results, that's that first part of that motivational cycle. Action to results. And when we see that result, that result gives us motivation. And then we got two-thirds of the motivational cycle going. And then when we get that motivation, that leads to more action because we're motivated. So now it's that motivational cycle repeated and we keep going round and round and round and round. And something that I've found with people that I've trained over the years as a personal trainer, uh, the more that you stay accountable to your coach, the better results you get. What is measured can be progressed. And I'm measuring everything. I'm changing things if I need to. I'm updating macros and calories and substituting exercises if I need to here and there, checking in. And uh, if you're not doing that, you're probably not making progress. Moving on, this is just a quote that I love that hit me really hard when I heard it. Be a warrior in the garden, not a gardener in a war. It speaks for itself. And I think it just means be ready, get ready. Like, what do you want to be? This isn't about doing jujitsu and becoming a fighter. Could be. But it's more so about being ready. And if you are put in a hard place, you can overcome it. And the way that you do that, to come back to a quote that I said before, drillers become killers. You got to practice that. You have to practice being in war. And, and, and literally, if we look at jiu-jitsu, doing roles, getting better at technique, that is getting ready for war so that when I compete or when I fight someone on the street, maybe, I don't know, if I have to, I, I'm not going to be a gardener in a war. I'm going to be a warrior in a garden. I'm going to have the tools to win. That quote's awesome. Number 20, try to do something, not be someone. All right, here we go. In 2019, there was a survey that was completed to see what jobs kids aspired to have when they grew up. The Harris Poll Survey was what it was called. Asked 3,000 kids aged 8 to 12 across three different countries, USA, UK, and China, to choose from five professions to answer which they wanted to be when they grew up. Astronaut, 
musician, professional athlete, teacher, or a vlogger slash YouTuber. Though the top choice among kids in the US and the UK was vlogger slash YouTuber, 56% of kids in China said they wanted to be an astronaut. There are plenty of things that I have to say about this, but the main extrapolation that I have for US and UK children is that the majority of the kids growing up just want to be famous. That's just a little excerpt from my motivational mailing list, my email list that I send out every week. If you want to join that, I share three motivational emails per week. You can unsubscribe at any time. It's just a dose of motivation that hits your inbox that keeps you going. And I try and sell you on some programs every now and then, let you know when a sale's coming, let you know when I've recorded an awesome podcast. But other than that, you can unsubscribe at any time. So if, if you are interested in receiving cool facts like this during the week to kick your ass into gear, then you can hit the link in the description. Um, but yeah, a lot of people want to be vlogger YouTubers. And that's not true just for children. It's true for a lot of people. They want to be famous. But I think the problem with this is people just want to be famous. They don't actually want to be good at anything. <laughs> it's, such a, it's such a troubling time. We want to be good. We want to be good at something, and from that come fame. But to try and be famous for nothing, just to be just for fame's sake, I think leads to a lot of potential downsides. And we know extensively that social media has a lot of downsides: mental health, uh, self-esteem, bullying. You know, I've received man. A video of mine recently got just under a million views on Facebook. I had fully grown men with three children swearing at me. If I didn't have thick skin, I'd be a mess right now. Swearing at me, telling, telling me my career is this and that. F you. Just, and, and some people having no reason. Just F you. Just swearing at me. And I'm just like, oh, okay. But if you're just trying to be famous just because you want to be famous... To be very honest, it's just, it's, it's pretty shit. And it's not going to last long. People don't want to follow someone just because they're famous. Famous for what? Do something. I think it's a much better endeavor with your life, especially if you're young listening to this, but even as an adult, to try to be good at something. Try to do something. Try to become an expert at something and become well-known from that, not just from trying to be well-known. Like, just jumping on a reality TV show just because you want to get eyes on you is not a very good idea. This is someone who's been on a reality TV show saying this. So listen up. I've been on there. I've been told in front of the whole of Australia, <laughs> you're going home. You're eliminated. You suck at singing pretty much. So, um, you know, I know what it's like to be surrounded by people who are very excited to have eyes on them. And when you look at people that are actually doing something, not just trying to be famous, they, they have a longer career, they have a longer longevity of, of, of their work, and they also usually have a more interesting personality because they're actually good at something and they stick around. They have a sustainable work life. Okay, moving on. Uh, lesson number 21. Fulfillment versus happiness. Um, and this is just um, a quick idea that I want to touch on. And a quote that I had thought of is, fulfillment is happiness in motion. And I think that um, a lot of people are trying to pursue happiness and they just 
you know, a, a lot of people say, I want to be happy. Yay! Happy. And to me, uh, I don't know if I want that. My perspective might change as I get older, but I want to be fulfilled. I don't want to be happy. I feel that people that pursue happiness is pursuing something that's stagnant. I feel like happiness is stagnant and fulfillment is happiness in motion. That's where the quote came from. I think when you look at someone that's fulfilled, they have that kind of fire in their belly. They have that look in their eyes. They, they have that smile. They have that zeal. They want to play. They want to learn. They want to talk. They want to listen. They want to build things. And when you look at people that are happy, they are stagnant. They're chilled. They're happy. They're relaxed. Easygoing. Just shrug things off. And there's value in that. I'm not trying to say I don't want people to be happy. I love it. But I think the bigger brother to that is fulfillment. And I think that that's a, that's a much more worthwhile pursuit with your time and with your life to be, to be fulfilled. Find a career that means something to you. Find a, uh, a hobby that really gets you going. Find uh, a soulmate or a girlfriend, a wife, a husband, a boyfriend, whatever you want to have. Find one that really makes you a better person, that, that elevates you, that challenges you. Not just someone that gives you everything that you want. Because no one, I don't know, I don't, it's my opinion, I, I don't think people want that. It gets very boring very quickly. Just, um, yeah, try to pursue something that gives you momentum, that uh, gives you that fire in your belly, that, that keeps you kind of committed to something. I just think it's a much more worthy pursuit than happiness. Um, a 22, mental diet. We worry about our physical diet a lot. Everyone's on a new diet every Monday. But I think one thing that we don't really worry about or are concerned about is our mental diet what books we read, what podcasts we listen to, what conversations we're having, what sort of people we're having around us, what sort of Instagram reels are bombarding us. Um, and we need to be careful about this stuff to make it a bit more serious because there's something called the availability bias and I want to explain what it means. The availability bias is making decisions based on the quickest available information that we have. What we consume directly correlates with the, with the decisions that we make. So the, available, the availability bias is, like let's say, um, you know, I've just read a book and it said that uh, calories don't count. Uh, you know, what matters is uh, insulin, right, for fat loss. And then someone's like, hey man, I'm just like, I want to lose weight, but I don't really know where to start. The availability bias is going to kick in because the quickest, most available piece of information that I have is from the book that I've just recently read. So I'm going to say, you got to manage your hormones. You got to worry about insulin, um, which is not correct. But the availability bias impacts us all. And that's why we have to be careful what we're reading. We have to be very careful of our mental diet, just like we are with our physical diet. It's just something to be aware of because the information that's just fresh in our brain that we keep reading, that we keep digesting, it kind of does brainwash, into the, brainwash us into this state 
that when people ask us questions, we're going to draw on the information that we've been consuming. Um, and if we're consuming BS, we're going to regurgitate BS. We know a lot of people that talk bullshit because they listen to a lot of bullshit and watch a lot of bullshit. That's why it's important to look at what we're listening to, what we're reading. And if you're listening to this podcast, you're making a very good start. Um, lesson number 23, take longer rest periods. Um, and this is, um, I guess, a gym term that's kind of hidden in this thing of, of, of delayed gratification. So if you take longer rest periods, you get more quality work in. Okay, so if you take less rest periods, like a lot of people like to do, a lot of women love to take short rest periods because they get more in in a shorter amount of time. And I know that they may be busy mums and they want to get in and get out, but they also want to have an elevated heart rate. It makes them feel like they're doing more. But if you take longer rest periods, you are doing more because you're going to be lifting more weight. So that's going to lead to more progressive overload, more muscle being built, more strength being created. And when you skip rest periods, okay, you may sweat more. You may potentially burn a little bit more calories because you've squeezed more in with the time that you have. But sometimes doing more is not achieving more. There's a very big difference. So take longer rest periods. So that is the principle for fitness, right? But it also applies to, to, to life when we think about delayed gratification and hyperbolic discounting, which is just like, it's pretty much the same thing. Delayed gratification. Things take time. We have to wait. And just like the marshmallow test kind of proved, do you want one marshmallow now or two later? People often taking the quick marshmallow instead of waiting and getting more. And it's like rest periods, but it's also like in life when we wait for more. All right. Okay. So should we take uh, a job now or should we study and get a higher paid job after that? People are just like, oh, I'll just take the job now. And maybe that's not the best example because, you know, I haven't done university study and, you know, I'm doing okay. But um, there are things that require delayed gratification, saving up for a house, um, saving up for a holiday. I just, I just think that so many people have lost the art of delayed gratification and, and being patient. It starts with your rest periods. Take longer rest periods. Achieve more. Don't just do more. Moving on. Point number 24, change your thoughts and you change your world. This is a quote from Norman Vincent Peale from a book, The Power of Positive Thinking. I read this book when I was in Auckland, like I alluded to earlier. And, you know, when I was 12, I lost my mother. Uh, and when I was in Auckland, I was struggling. I told you I was crying myself to sleep most nights. I was living in a big house of people that I didn't know. Uh, I was working my ass off um, 6 a.m. to 8 p.m., working two or three jobs, no real time for myself. Social media wasn't important to me at the time. So I, and like, there was no podcast. There was no anything. I was reading books to try and create that nice environment around my head and feel like I was doing better, but it was a rough time. But this book really saved me. It helped me. Um, you know, I had some pretty dark thoughts. When I was 20, I had like a midlife crisis, a quarter life crisis, I call it. I was like crying on the floor, melting down, didn't know what I was going to do. I was trying... I just ended my music career, if you can even call it that. And then I was like, should I do fitness? Should I do fitness? Who am I? What am I? I did all these personality tests. Um, I talked to all these people and I said, what would you say my three best strengths were? And I was asking them these questions like this. I was trying to figure out who the hell I was and what I was going to do and if I was even good at anything and if I should even bother 
with trying to do something special with my life. But this quote and this book really, really saved me. And, um, you know, I'm uh, I'm optimist. I do believe in hope and I do believe in being positive. And I think it really does take you far and not to be cheesy, but I do think that when you think positively, it's not just a woo-woo thing. I think it does help you have a different vision to other people that live the same life. If you live the same life as someone but have a, a positive perspective, good stuff's going to come out of it. If you live that same life and have a negative perspective, you probably won't end up doing anything meaningful. Change your thoughts and you change your world. Uh, number 25, I guess I just wanted to put this in here. Marry the right woman. Uh, because I've seen a lot of people be in relationships that literally just eat their life up and it ruins their life. They don't have hobbies. They don't have time for themselves. They don't have... Like there's no zeal. There's no energy. There's no fire in their eyes. There's no yay. There's like, there's no, there's none of that. They're just kind of like being absorbed by this relationship. They stop hanging out with their friends. They stop doing things that make them happy. And when you think about marrying the right woman or even just going on a date or being with someone, they fall in love with who you are. And then over time, if you change to be whatever they want you to be, you're no longer that person that they love. Right? Do you ever think of that? So be who you are. Stand up for things that you want to do and that believe make you you. Not in a selfish way. Not in a way that doesn't allow for compromise because relationship is, you know, a big part of um, being in a relationship is compromise or meeting in the middle or, or a better way to put it is like doing things that they want to do but then them also doing things that you want to do. So you both remain happy. Um, but yeah, stay true to who you are because remember, they fell in love with you not the you that they wanted. Uh, number 26. We're getting there. We're getting there. How are we going for time? All right. Probably five to ten more minutes. Um, number 26 is plan to the end. And this is, um, I think it was uh, Law 29 in the book 48 Laws of Power. Um, and it was talking about business and power and planning to the end and making sure that, you know, the thing that you're going for, kind of like that 90-year-old reverse engineering idea I was talking about earlier, um, working your way back from there, plan to the end. But this is more about, I want to put a spin on it and talk about alcohol and drugs um, and how you spend your time and the things that you do in your spare time. And even going into the gym, what do you want to achieve at the end of this? Like, I don't touch alcohol. I don't touch drugs because I've seen the end result for a lot of people that have been close to me or that are close to me, let's say. A lot of family, uh, let's say previous friends, um, some distant family and, and just people that I've seen in my life. I don't even know who they are. But when I look at, I, I, I've seen the end of what alcohol can do. I've seen the end of what drugs can do to people's life. I've seen the end of what prioritizing business too much and not your family enough. I've seen the end of that. And it's not very pretty. And that's why I don't do those things. I don't touch alcohol. I have before. I'm not trying to stand on uh, you know, a pedestal on top of a mountain and be glorified. 
but I've just seen it all, and that's why I don't touch it. I've seen the dark side of things. Now, there is another side of things. There is balance. There is moderation. There is discovery. There is fun moments and memories to to be had under these kind of principles. But, um, yeah, plan to the end. If you're drinking every weekend, why are you doing that? What's the end result of that? If you're taking drugs every now and then, okay, what's the end result of that? Does it turn into an addiction? If you're training, what do you want your end results to look like? Do you want to be 10% body fat? Do you want to be a competitive bodybuilder? Or do you just want to be able to stand up and walk as a 90-year-old? What do you want? Think of it and work back and to the end with everything. With your career, what do you want? Because at the moment, you like you could just be growing and trying to grow and trying to grow like I am, you know, got, you got Instagram going, podcasts, YouTube, this and that, da, 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 da. What's the end of that? What is the end? Plan to the end. It's a great question to ask yourself. Number 27 is, is pretty simple and it's say hi to people on the street and in life. Say morning, say evening. You know, we could all agree that we want to live in a society that is kind um, and this really helps create that. And the more I see the younger generation, it makes me sound old, but like 12-year-olds, 14-year-olds, 16-year-olds, 18-year-olds, the less I see communication skills. And I think that's due to the rise of phones and the rise of technology because they're interacting through phones, through Snapchat, through Instagram, DMs, and not face-to-face. And I think, you know, they're missing out on a very important life of skill to life which is dealing with real people so say hi to people man smile at people i used to play this game and i still do uh, but i started it a few years ago and every time i'd jump into an elevator and someone was in there i would say hi every time i would check out at a grocery store i would try and talk to them just for fun no other reason i wasn't trying to get someone's number i wasn't trying to get them as a client i just really wanted to know how their day was and i wanted to get better at talking at maybe telling a lighthearted joke, maybe giving them a compliment, saying I like their name, saying, um, you know, that was the fastest checkout I've ever been in. <laughs> you know, something. it's lame, but these are skills that I think we can use. Number one, it, it improves people's day. Number two, it improves your communication skills. And number three, it just kind of like adds a bit of excitement to your life. Um, and that's one thing I loved about living in Christchurch is people said hey all the time. That's where I got it from. But I've I've lived in bigger cities like Auckland, well, bigger compared to Christchurch, Auckland and Sydney, and people don't really say hi. <laughs> it's weird. Like, it's another human being right in front of you. Say hi. Something I'll never understand. Number 28, technique is what matters. And this is a revelation from jiu-jitsu because I've versed smaller people on the mats and they absolutely smash me um, because their technique is better Um, and it's also reinforced by resistance training I'm stronger than other people that are bigger than me because my technique's better than them okay I've lifted weights for 15 years that helps but better technique is always better for anything right and when we look at copywriting or uh, recording videos or talking and, uh, and the vocabulary that you have better technique is always better so I want to encourage you to, because I've fallen into this, I've fallen into just doing, 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 doing. As you can see, that's quite, an, that's quite a motto in my life, just doing. Do this, do that, do this. I just, I like to go, 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 go. 
sometimes at the expense of, of good technique. And what jiu-jitsu has really uh, reinforced with me is technique matters, doing things correctly. And that's that balance of working smarter and not just working hard. So that's something to think about. Number 29, put yourself in other people's shoes. Um, I've definitely developed this a little bit more as I've become a parent and seen my daughter be so vulnerable, so cute. And, you know, I've seen other parents be in super vulnerable vulnerable positions and I've seen how hard life can be. I had a pretty hard life when I was 12 years old, just in a certain moment when my mum passed away, that was hard. And I think the more you understand how life can be pretty shit to other people, the more you understand to have a bit of empathy for other people. It's something that I've really developed as a coach too. And... um seeing your parents get old too you kind of begin to see life a bit differently and I used to be a bit judgmental something I can still work on I used to really just like throw out things like oh that guy's a pussy and oh he's just a bitch <laughs> I wouldn't say that all the time but like you know I just I just think in my head man stop being a pussy just do this and do that and just work harder I'll just say all these kind of things uh but man I think I've grown up a little bit more and, you know, this podcast is to shed light on my personal experience. And I think that we have to really understand what people are going through. I still struggle with the whole thing, like when people are like, I'm so anxious and anxiety and stuff. And I'm, you know, I used to think a lot more like, just do it. Just take action. Just do, um, you know, get over it. You're only anxious because you're not taking action. You need to stop procrastinating and just do. And I still believe a lot of that. But I also have this other side of me that's trying to say, man, if only you understood where they're coming from, if only you had have had anxiety before, which I haven't, then you would understand. So I guess this is a long-winded way of saying have empathy for others. You don't know what people have gone through. Some people won't share it. Maybe it's embarrassing. Maybe they're afraid to look small. Uh, but have empathy for others. I think you never uh, lose when you do that. It's never a losing game. But I think it it is a bit of a losing game when you just are kind of like definitively writing people off like I have in the past. Number 30. And this is along the lines of the previous point that I just said. Spend more time with old people and kids. Um, With old people... They don't give a shit about what you think. They will just say whatever the hell is on their mind. It's beautiful. Same with kids. They'll say, you look funny today. Your eyes look weird. Or like, you look fat in that. They'll just tell you whatever the hell you're thinking. Um, <laughs> and it's refreshing to be around truth. Um, but also, as I was talking about earlier in the podcast, with old people, you understand regrets. You understand what really matters and with kids. So I think what we can learn from kids is, is, is just their passion for life. There's a lot of talk in the Bible around the, the, the excitement, the youth, um, the kind of like twinkle in their eye, the zeal that they have, like this playfulness, this creativity that they have. And then as you get an adult, it kind of gets beaten out of you. You fail a few times and you might work a job that you hate and it just kind of like beats it out of you. To be around kids is, is, is really refreshing. All they want to do is play. All they want to do is have fun. I think we need more of that in our life. And to balance that out with hanging out with old people, 
I, I think we can just learn a lot from like what actually matters. I think we have it so twisted. We're looking at people's highlight reels. We're trying to create our own highlight reels so our life looks better than it actually is. We're trying to look like we earn more money than we actually do. We're trying to look like we're in better shape than we actually are by editing photos. <sighs> I don't think old people care about that. I don't think kids care about that. My daughter doesn't care what I wear. My daughter doesn't care how much I can bench press. My daughter doesn't care what car we drive. She cares that I wake up and play with her. She cares that you know I feed her when she needs to be fed. She cares that I I give her water when she wants to, um, you know, when she wants to drink. She cares that I pick her up when she wants to be picked up. She cares that you know I'm there, uh, you know, to read her books when she wants me to read her books. And I think this this is the shit that matters. To get real, at the end of this podcast, I think that you know so many people are focused on shit that doesn't matter. Impressing other people that they don't even know with money that they don't even have. A lot of people are doing that. And 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 to be really honest, it, it pisses me off. Um, it leads to, man, I saw this thing the other day and oh, I just said I was trying not to be judgmental. I'll share it. Uh, there was a, there was a kid at the playground that I was at with my daughter and you know, we were spending some time together and like she was just filming, just filming her kid the whole time. And maybe it was, look, and this is the whole empathy thing. I'm going to get this out of the way. Maybe uh, the dad wasn't there because he was in hospital. He just had a car crash. I'm, I don't know. And he wanted to see videos of, of their kid happy. But she was like just playing with the kid just to film it. And then when she like filmed it, da 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 cool like you know put their kid on this thing and you push back and forward and then she just filming it and be like hey 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 smile 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 and then when she got the video she just stopped and then just like walked away like literally just walked away and she did that two or three times and then when the kid was playing she was just on her phone like scrolling stuff and oh i don't know man that just really pisses me off like trying to look trying to look happy and stuff online and oh look at my kid so happy but like you're not spending time with that kid so like what does that kid feel i don't know i'm getting a bit depressed at the end of this uh podcast anyway let's f le <laughs> let's wrap up with something optimistic the last point point number 31 is the flea experiment so um and i don't know if this experiment is true or not but there's definitely a moral lesson to take out of this when you put a flea in a jar and leave the lid open they will jump out depending on how high the jar is, of course. But if, uh, okay, look, if you're watching this on YouTube, you'll be able to see what my hand's doing. So if the jar is this high, a flea could probably jump out, right? So if you put a flea, for those of you that aren't listening on YouTube, if you put a flea in a jar, underneath a height that they can jump to, they will jump out of the jar. If you put the lid on, for three days and just leave them and then take the lid off they can no longer jump out and this is an idea called learned helplessness and it's more so just a i guess i just want to share this because it helps you to to understand the limits that you put on yourself and the flea that can jump out of the jar is you with no limitation and you with hope, and you with positivity, and you with with motivation. Um, and sometimes life puts a jar on us, like me. My mum passed away, 
or like me, uh, I moved to Auckland with no friends, slept on a small bed beside a dishwasher, couldn't sleep. And then I moved to a place that had like cockroaches in it. I remember waking up to cockroaches on my body. It was disgusting, man. Um, and then, you know, having that, um, that, that meltdown when I was 20, changing careers, doing all this kind of stuff. Like sometimes life puts a jar on top of you. And then when it's, you have to understand that it's no longer there. It might be there for a day, a week, a month, a year, but it's not there for the remainder of your life. So I, I wanted to share this to give you hope to take the lid off the top of your life and just like jump out because once you're out of that jar, you can understand that the world is huge and you can achieve a lot. And that's what I want you to understand and take away from this. When there is something on top of you, it's not there forever. And you still have the ability like you did before to live a life that is full, to come back to being like a kid. Anything is possible. Anything is possible. And when that lid is gone, you can achieve anything. But the first step is the hardest, and that's trying to believe that you can actually jump out of the jar because you're so used to jumping up and falling down and falling down and failing and failing and failing. But one day that jar is going to be gone, and you need to be ready to jump out. Those are the 31 lessons that I wanted to share as a 30-year-old. I hope that helped. I'll see you in the next podcast.